Welcome to Continuing the Conversation. I'm Carl Amuzu. And I'm Glenn Collins. We are FOS Church, which is a community creating space for everyone to find hope, beauty, and purpose in the story of Jesus. Becoming rooted as we are reduced to love while we begin reimagining our faith. Continuing the conversation is one of the ways that we are trying to create space to expand the dialogue and interactions based on the conversations we are having as FOS Church. One of the rhythms that we have at FOS is SOAP, a daily plan for reading the Bible and journaling our reflections. SOAP is an acronym that stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. If you want to join us on our rhythm of SOAP, you can find more information at FOS.Church. Our series over the next few weeks is called the SOAP Sessions and will consist of messages and conversations that are pulled from our daily reflections. This week, we'll be exploring FOS's vision to be a community that is reduced to love, So from the SOAP reading, if you've been a part of the rhythm of the community, we're in the middle of 1 Corinthians to where we get the famous chapter that tried to describe what does community-oriented love look like. While we step into this, our good friend and uh, fellow journeyer that we've known for years, Mike Vilstead, will be joining us. Say hey, Mike. Hello. Hi. Hi, I'm Michael Vilstead coming live from Denmark, joining this conversation today. Awesome, man. So we're internationally sourced today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, are, we have international renown now. Yeah, I like that one. That sounds positive <laughs> and made up. <laughs> Worldwide. Awesome. All right. So, Glenn, Mike, uh, we're going to jump into the actual conversation part now. Um, but as we do that, just want to ask if you guys have any thoughts on First Corinthians or the message before we head to the head, heart and hands questions. With the message where I thought it sat very strong was in the story that you shared, um, saying to be able to see the person that would be seen as your natural enemy. And this one, it was a, a witch doctor that he said in experiencing that person as love change the entire community to where it, it challenged us that to say that we're being reduced to love doesn't mean that we have no named enemies because in naming his enemy he actually knew who he had to move towards you still have your particularity of your historical position you still have that moment to say there's people i agree or disagree with there's those i'd see as other but the challenge that you presented well was that love was the call towards the other, towards one that you'd name as enemy, that it doesn't, naming doesn't alleviate um, our responsibility to know and to guard. Hmm. All right. That's awesome, man. How, how about you, Mike? Any, any thoughts? Well, my first thought was um, how I like the approach of uh, love as a reduction. Because I find that a lot of uh, times, especially in church communities, um, love is portrayed as a very powerful thing, which is true, but as a power that is more of a power over people, over situations, over circumstances, um, which I find not to be true. Um, Power can be described as a powerful thing, but power is also about um, an introduction to a weakness where you become reduced um, since your ego, your will, your presence is now not the only thing that matters. Um, you give space to something else that reduces your presence. Um, 
So in that way of approaching it, I thought this is something that I can uh, uh, really connect with because other times I just feel that love is sold as a, a gateway to power. And I feel that isn't true. No, definitely. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I got, I, I, it was interesting even for us when we had the conversation um, in our community. Um, it, was, it, it felt like, you know, like, because like 1 Corinthians is one of those ver- those passages that are read at everybody's weddings. Everybody has a certain take on the passage. And even as we entered into the conversation, people mentioned like, oh, was, this was such a meaningful passage for us because it was read at our weddings. And so it's one of those things that like you want to add to it, but you also want to let people hold on to the way that they, they hold it in a sense. You, 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 know, you know what I mean? Because it's been a powerful thing for them. But then transitioning the power from something that is over us to something that I think that immerse, that is released and, and realized um, through us, like grassroots versus top down. You know what I mean? And so reduced to love, definitely for us as a community, at least I would see it more as a subversive act than an oppressive act in a sense, right? Absolutely. The way you talked about uh, being or becoming love so that love is not a resource, uh, something that you utilize in order to get what you want. I felt that was impactful. I always find um, actually the use of First Corinthians 13 chapter on love at weddings physically hurts me, but I wrestle <laughs> with that notion of... Um, protecting people's use of it just because to me it domesticates it so much to to use when we hear it mainly as a ritual ceremony rather than the single reducible irreducible part of the community that it reduces us like uh like mike said that it's something that we're brought down to we give up power over we give up the ability to control and we become and the act of becoming the reduced to love is so domesticated in the sense of when we think of it, oh, this is always about marriage. Um, No, this is about a whole community act that we can get a new humanity if we can let go of power. Yeah, I I really agree with that because of course I get people want to read this, um, um, this part of the Bible at at weddings. It it makes sense because weddings are about love and this is about love, right? But um, coming back to the way, Carl, you you started um, this message talking about different kinds of love. Um, This is not that kind of romantic love. Um, This passage is actually about how the church functions and how even though there are different um, offices or different um, responsibilities in the church, it's love that brings it all together and that everybody shares in, uh, which is a very different thing than just romantic love in, in a wedding between a man and a woman or a man and a man or a woman and a woman partners. Um, this is a love that transcends um, infatuation. Yeah, that's no, good. That's great, great thoughts, Mike. All right, any, any, Glenn, any other thoughts before we jump in? No, that's a perfect segue into the head, heart and hands. All right. So um, each week we enter into the conversation as a community through three sets of questions, head, heart, and hands. The head, heart, and hands is just a way for us to speak about three points of trying to engage what this conversation is. The head question is a theoretical, more 
construct. It, it's, it's in the mind you wrestle with it. The hand or the heart is a self-reflective, how has this been true in my life or how do I personally work within this? And then hands is how do I walk this out or step into it? So that it's not just stopping at one point that we can have a theory without um, actual embodiedness and we can, can't stop at embodiedness without affecting the lives around us. So it becomes a flow of us asking the question, how do we step into this life? All right. Well, the first question that we have for the heads, the head question is what changes when love is something we do or become instead of something we think or feel? Well, when it's something we're becoming, um, it's something that never quite arrives, but we're always moving towards. And to me, it becomes much more immediately practical because in the think or feel, um, I have a tendency to make abstractions so I can spend all day theorizing about the process of love or loving, but doesn't affect any lives around me. The practical, the immediate means that um, it necessitates that even if I do it poorly, I must step into it now. Yeah, no, I, I, that's, I think that's a great point. I think like for me, um, the idea of think or feel is like I cannot think about it or I cannot feel it. But if I am becoming love, it is something that I am. I have to do it. I have to be it in, in those moments. And I think it, it gives way to kind of a deeper like interplay between people because it's like if you piss me off, reality is I'm probably not going to feel super loving. Um, but if you know, I mean, like that act of like we are love then we have to respond in love. And I think that's where it makes it even possible when we talk about like, you know, love our enemies, love strangers, love, the, you know, these different people that like, I would actually have no context to, to have a feeling of love for these people. Or even I would have the context that even have the opposite of love in a sense. Um, but if you become love, you can't help but move towards people with that kind of posture. Yeah, well, I agree. And to bring those two, two things together, I would say if it's about becoming love, then we never do become love because that would be an all encompassing kind of becoming, which is just not happening. Right. We're people and we, uh, we're incomplete. Um, and that's okay. So if it's about becoming, it's not about the end. It's about the journey. Like you said, Gwen, um, which encompasses all those feelings and thinkings and it becomes, it becomes an attitude. Um, that you take on and you practice um, so that it's not so much about living up to a standard. It's about becoming who you want to be, like what you want to be, uh, never completely, but growing into a role that you find meaningful. Mm, that's good. That's good. Um, and just because we, at times we do like to give you an expanded reading list, just in case you hear some of these things and wonder where we draw information. Um, one who speaks of a really good way through cr the Christian tradition about this act of love affecting who are we becoming, like Michael saying, um, since it is something you're turning into, you're, you're becoming love, you're, you're on your way towards, is Jamie K.A. Smith, you are what you love. And he, he gives you a, a good... Um, uh, entry-level conversation into this that you could say we, we understand how some of our practices start the act of us becoming who we desire to be uh, yeah uh, and i would add if it's about practice it's not a solo mission practice is about community 
and you absolutely need people to um, mirror that attitude so it becomes a natural thing. That's actually a beautiful point is uh, when it's theoretical, you can love in isolation because when it's theoretical, it needs a whiteboard and for you to be able to think a little bit. When it's the act of becoming practical, like uh, Mike pointed out, you can't practice without someone to practice with. It, uh, otherwise, um, I only have crass analogies in my head and so I won't use them, but I'm sure you could fill in the blanks of what it becomes. All right. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's definitely like I love that idea that love is something that has to be done in community. Um, even that notion, uh, I think when we read through First Corinthians, um, all the things that love is like love is patient, love is kind. Like you know, you it's it's great to to read those things in and of themselves. But if it's just a theoretical thing and not something that's practical, then those things actually don't matter. Like unless you're like, well, I want to be patient with myself, I want to be kind to myself, or something. Which you should be. Well, you you can be, but. I think it becomes like actualized and fully realized in the presence of other people, right? Like that's where you're actually tested in, in this thing. That's where the notion of becoming and that journey, you can see it actually begin to play out. Like, you know, you know what I mean? So I think the notion of, how do I put it? Um, like growing up in the, in the church, I used to always hear this one phrase, like, um, I, I have to love you, but I don't have to like you. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I, I always hated that phrasing because it, it, it was actually the antithesis of what people were, I think, hoping to try to communicate. It's like, I actually don't have to be in community with you. You know, you know what I mean? I don't actually have to do life with you, but that's actually not true. If we're loving people, then we actually have to like them. Right. Like it's, it's so in that sense, then love becomes that I like you type of thing. Well, and that's a good transition to the heart question, um, because if it's this act of being able to grow in liking and knowing the, per the people in front of you rooted in community, our question becomes to utilize Paul's analogy of a noisy gong, when has how you express your faith become more annoying than loving? Or what are some things in your life that are hindering you from being loved now? See, I can't share other people's stories, but I'm pretty sure that all of us have really, really good stories because I've witnessed a lot of them. Uh, and so I think for myself, at least um, one story that, 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 I, you know, that I've shared before is I think my faith became more of a noisy gong, especially when I, when I first kind of reoriented my life around Christ. Right. I, I, I jumped into more of just translating directly one-to-one. -one. Like this is what I was doing before I reoriented my life, like music wise. And so I was doing kind of like, like this gangster rap type stuff. And so all of a sudden it became gangster rap for Jesus. And so I, like my lyrics became stomping on the, the you know, the, the devil's head, like I'm Kirk Franklin, started talking about my spiritual armor and spiritual warfare and, you know, things like that. And, and it's one of those things that I think when, 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 it, when, when it came down to it, for me at least, uh, I was trying to express my faith in something that felt tangible at that moment, um, but ultimately, to me at least was the antithesis of inviting people into that actual community of love um, based on following Christ together, right? So. Um, just because you, you went from, you did gangster rap and um, kind of an aggressive, violent uh, representation of faith, but how is that connecting to a different way of inviting somebody in? Because that's, at least for me, that seems like a bit of a jump. It's like, I did an art form and I'm sure what you disagree with 
is the metaphors you used, um, maybe even some of the, of the uh, thoughts behind it, but mainly the metaphors you used to try to give voice to this experience. And then suddenly you jumped into, well, this is how I don't think I was inviting people in. Well, I think because it was very adversarial, right? And so um, by, by, by it being adversarial by nature, then you have to have an adversary. And often it wasn't just, quote unquote, the the enemy or, you know, you know the, the Satan who was uh, the, the, the victim of much of my gangbanging Christian violence. <laughs> um, but then it becomes other people who don't agree with you. It becomes other people who hold their faith differently from you, right? Like, like, like you have to have an adversary. You have to have somebody you're going against in order for you. It, you know, it's kind of like, um, like what we see in politics right now, like left wing, right wing, they only exist because they're going against each other. Right. And so I would, I, so neither, neither one is an invitation to join their side. They just want the other side to stop existing. But at the same time, they actually need each other to exist. Right. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answered yeah, your question. No, fully, that absolutely makes sense. Uh, defining yourself by what you're not. Yeah. Which then becomes completely hollow because then you're not for anything you're just against something exactly which even if you were to uh succeed in your efforts to wipe out the competition then there would be nothing left to fight for because you weren't fighting for something or fighting against something well and it brings into um what psychology likes to point to is one of the cheapest ways to have community is they call it common enemy intimacy but they said the reason why it's so um shallow is because as soon as you can no longer hate it, then you suddenly find that you had nothing in common with the people around the table. And so for called to be in that place of what is it to be reduced to love, as we see in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, you actually need a lot of commonality with each other, which means I need to be for you, not just us against them, because that holds no room for expansion. If we, if we change, I know all three of us sitting around the table right now, um, our world's different than who we were when the story that Carl was telling about when he did gangster rap, like the last 10 years, uh, we would probably shake our head at ourselves, but definitely if we only have a common enemy, we don't have the room for our own growth. We become noisy gongs because noise and trying to pick a fight is, is all you're left with. If you don't have a sense of having the space and being reduced to love of the people around the table, because that gives you the most room to grow. If I can take it back to um, the actual passage, then verse one to three, there are three different um, uh, examples that Paul gives. And starting from the back, it's about um, giving to the poor. And he used this uh, example, extreme example, of giving over my body to hardship that I may boast I have love. I gain nothing. And then the second one is about fathom all mysteries and, and, and knowledge. He says, uh, but if I do that, I don't have love. I am nothing. So you got two nothings. And then the first one is if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, yada, 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 I'm only a resounding gong. You would expect a nothing there. Uh, it's, it's interesting that he, uh, that he, he breaks up that, um, uh, that way of uh, putting the, the images together um, to say that, or I think he's saying there, there, is a, there is a tendency to focus on words. And I am definitely 
done this. Maybe he's going by his own previous uh, experience or or life, but um, talking to people, maybe even even like doing a uh, sermon, talking high sounding words and, and notions about love and about um, being with the least of these and all these wonderful phrases and have nothing in your life to back it up. Like I thought that I, at time would inspire people to do what I could not, but now I see it's just clanging simple and a noisy gong. It's just empty words. Oh, um, I can remember when I was younger and some of the conversations that formed me was exactly that noisy gong. Um, and that's an interesting point you bring out that the other ones say it profits me nothing. It gains me nothing because we can do those things and still look good. The only one you can do and just be annoying is talk a lot without loving. Um, and it's interesting within the passage because this this chapter comes in the middle of a big debate over um, big acts of spirituality that comes into prophesying, teaching, um, and speaking in tongues. So that's their big debate is who gets to do these public acts. It says uh, you don't get a big public acts without actual embodiedness just kind of makes you a jerk. When I was, when I was younger, um, I was around a church and I can say I had the best of intentions for going there because she was very pretty. And so I, I had to involve myself in that ministry when I was about 20. And when they, when they spoke, they were a shrinking community because the only way they could understand themselves, they talk about their robes of righteousness against all the heathens around them. Um, I heard that and I had a guttural response to it. And I was like, well, I'll show them because they had a spot where you could get up and they would let some people preach once in a while at the end of a sermon if they ran short. I was like, I'm going to go up and say how your guys' robes of righteousness suck because you're jerks. And so I, I just became exactly what I shouldn't, that what I thought would be an act of clarity was abuse of speech and a distaste for what I disliked. It didn't bring us closer. It changed no conversations because they could easily hear that. Say, oh, well, he's just a jerk. So how can he tell us to be kind? Yeah, it's, it's true. I grew up in a, a church that very much focused on uh, purity and, and staying out of um, the ways of the world, which very much became about knowledge, knowing good from evil, um, and just staying away from it. Uh, separating yourself, um, what I never really seemed to get, at least not at that point, was that the transformation that I have undergone, like in experiencing love and being formed and transformed by that, I wasn't doing that to others. Uh, that was not, it was more about, well, I'm good. Um, let me not get soiled. So I can be among the saved crowd. That, that was basically uh, my faith as a, as a young man. Hmm. That's an interesting point there of when you identify yourself as the noisy gong, you're fairly clean and pristine because you didn't have to get, um, bothered by being enmeshed in the lives of other people. Mm -hmm. It's true. 
Yeah, I think it's it's and it's interesting. I think um, even that notion, like we we kind of talk about knowledge and language and words, and and all, all three of us, we have a love for language. We have a love for the way that words work and the the impact and effect that they have on people. And and it's interesting that all three of us, I think, come from backgrounds where as we began to have more knowledge, we began to use our words in ways that actually cut people versus healed them. But where we've all landed down the line is actually we want to create spaces of healing, create spaces of inclusion, create spaces where our words actually help to cultivate the environments of hope and faith and, and love. Um, and so I just think it's, it's it's interesting to watch how we've all grown and not this is not to pump us up and be like, yeah, we're awesome. Um, but it's interesting that like I think if you can take kind of three jackasses like ourselves um, in, in the mix who have had have truthfully done damage to people like, like I can I, unfortunately I can think of people that I've hurt by the way that I use language um, and then flip that on his head and say okay well when love begin when you begin to become love things actually change your language begins to change uh, the way that you use words begin to change and so it's just I, I find that really interesting that, that I've watched all three of our journeys um, move from kind of like knives that cut to um, bomb that heals in a sense the way that we use language and the way that we've used the, the gifts that I think God has given us so I definitely wouldn't say that about myself, but I can say that about you two. Uh, that <laughs> no, but, but, but seriously, I, I, I don't feel like I am a bomb uh, for people, but I can show or point to so many people that help me. So I can navigate up from that. Uh, not that I know what healing is like because I studied because I felt it, I experienced it. Someone did it to me first. Well, I'd say just if we get to go back in time to um, the first Vilstead beta project that we met, uh, all learning in the beginning when we entered these dialogues, you used as a point to break apart somebody else's argument. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't self-reflective. You, you basically learned like a boxer what a good counterpunch was. I'd say in the last years where you've got to experience some angst, some pain, some, some up and downs of what life is and your development, your questions have actually changed because you point to more, how do we maintain a space? We don't have to agree, but how do we create this paradox where we don't agree, but we all have unity. We, we, we're not all on the same page, but we're part of the same community. So those would, maybe you wouldn't see yourself as, moving in that trajectory, but your questions have went from a counterpunch to actually, we need to hold this tension, be honest with ourselves, but be together. So in that you become much more socially minded. Definitely. And I would say even in the interaction with folks, um, you know, you know what I mean? Like just by having the openness to share, I, it's, it's interesting that like, I think all three of us would have done this when we were younger, um, is taking those opportunities to kind of preach at people versus invite people into a conversation and a dialogue. Um, and so I remember like when you, when you were over here, uh, was it back in November and you spoke to the community, it's something that to this day, people still like, um, mentioned like, Oh, when, when we talked about this or when we talked about that, and it was something that invited them into a space of healing. So whether it's something that you realize or not, just even the opportunities that you've had to be able to share has created new spaces for people. So. Well, that's at least good to hear. But one thing I can say, uh, 
bring it back to the passage again, where it says that uh, love never fails. Then it says about prophecies will cease, uh, tongues will be stilled, knowledge will pass away. There was a time when I thought that if you could just figure it out, if you could just get the right answers, and that was how I perceived in, in arguments, if I could just be right, then I'd be safe and I could save others. I could say, this is how you maneuver in this world. And I found out that, well, I later learned that that kind of rhetoric cuts. And it cuts people away because they, if they don't agree with you, then they're part of the problem. And I found that that kind of questioning that we're trying to practice here actually gets you to no, you don't know where the safe place is, but at least we're in it together. Um, you don't actually have all the answers, but at least we can agree that we're trying to figure it out. So we, we're not separated by a lack of knowledge. Sexual knowledge, that kind of knowledge that puffs up, um, which Paul talks about other places, that's the kind of knowledge that separates people. Mm. That's a great point. Any, any, you guys, any, any final thoughts before we transition to the next section, to the hand section? No. no? All right. Awesome. All right. So the next question that we have is what are some, some things that we can actively or practically do now to reduce, to be reduced to love individually and as a community? Well, I would say if love isn't a resource, if it's not something you can do for yourself or for others, then it simply becomes about presence. If there's nothing you can give other than yourself, then then you give of you. Like you give your time, you give your you just being with the other person. And and maybe you don't see how that could help anyone if you're not actually providing resources or or uh, something that they need that isn't you. Um, then it could be hard to see how that can be a loving act. But if love is to be not a resource or an, a gateway to power or to mastery over this world. And it has to be just about being in, a, in all its weakness. No, I think that's a great point. Like this, that notion of being present. Um, Cause even I think there's, there's a level of trust in that, that you have to be able to trust that you are enough. Right. So in a, in a, in a society that values productivity, and being able to do something for somebody, the present, the, the note that I think then the idea of actually being able to be with somebody in that sense becomes a true gift, right? Because it, it becomes uh, a counter argument in a sense. Uh, maybe that's not the best way to frame it, but it becomes, you know, it, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive to the way that society is trying to frame how people have value. Right. And so if, if, if I tell people that your presence is merely enough, like it's it's like the fact that we are able to spend time together, we're able to have a conversation, we're able to just be in in, 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 in the presence of one another. Um, that's actually a, that's the valuable thing. Um, it completely rewrites the rules um, of engagement for society in that sense, for me, at least. Uh, like it and um, just going with some of the language we use rather than counter argument, which you've uh, had a response over it's it's a counter narrative it's a bit subversive but it's subversive in the most beautiful way it's not subversive like when you're sitting at your family dinner maybe everybody else comes from families that like our hallmark they hold hands and sing mine like to specialize in the underhanded comment over dinner like this food is good unlike the one you made last week and it's like that compliment <laughs> and the jab uh that's bad 
counter narrative. The, the good counter narrative is the stepping into being into presence. And if we think we're telling a better story in light of the Christ event of Jesus, of community, of a, of a bigger humanity, the only way to do that is like um, Mike said, not utilizing something as resource because resource comes to commodity. I can demand something of you. I've given you love. You owe me something where if you're giving self and being, you have to actually delimit your demand to say, I'm giving myself. And the only way this works is if yourself comes here and yourself can only come here if I can't dictate what yourself means. Um, like in the beginning when it said, however you're understanding love and marriage, um, whether it's any part of the LGBTQ community, heterosexual, uh, man, woman, man, man, woman, woman, whatever setup you have. If we say we can come into these things and you're only allowed to be at the table if you obey my theory of this, then you don't allow their whole being to be there and you don't have the practical ability to celebrate with them. Because if you show me a genuine expression of love and giving, it it's something I can celebrate only if I don't demand that myself gets perfectly mirrored in you. Hmm. I would even say like, like just going off of what you're saying right there, but that notion of like the gift of, of the whole self being present. And I think quite often because of like the way that, you know, just reality, the way that church culture has been, um, is that people don't feel that they can bring their whole selves to the table. It's like, I can bring my church Sunday best self to the table kind of idea. <laughs> um, and that, and that has to be the, you know, so how are you doing? Oh, we're doing great. Life is good. See my suit, you know, kind of notion. Um, in, in, in light of all the kinds of relationships and th- and all the dynamics and all the complexity that, that is life versus coming to the table and being like, this is who I am. This is this. And, and that's actually celebrated versus something that to be shunned in a sense. And, and I think most of us growing up in the traditions that we grew up in kind of came to the table with that notion that I can't bring my whole self to the table. There's parts of me that I have to hide if I want to be included at this table. And I think like to like, be reduced to love is to say that those parts are also well, not just welcomed at the table, but we actually can celebrate the difference of those parts together at the table. While we do acknowledge that it's a great risk because to show up with your whole self, you don't have any of the protective moves you get to do. For sure. Mm. Yeah, yeah, if it's about bringing your whole self and if it's not about commodity, it becomes about relationship, right? As Paul says in verse 12, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Knowing, it's not about knowing stuff, it's about knowing people. Um, and it really highlights this need for um, its connectedness that really is what people need, that we need as people, uh, not to have our issues fixed. Um, it's something that I'm, I'm still learning. Like with my girlfriend, if she's sad and she tells me, uh, what the matter is, then the worst I can do is try to fix it. Like if I had gotten powers and could just snap my fingers and fix it, that would be the greatest insult because then I'm not actually experiencing her pain. The best thing I can do is say, okay, tell me more, which is counterintuitive, but you think, well, that uh, actually magnifies the pain. But no, that is how you like love not by giving resources, but by giving yourself. Because if it's about fixing a problem, it's not about getting to know the person. 
Mm. Well, also what, what you pointed to there is something that, um, if, if I'm remembering it right, Elizabeth Johnson wrote about in, in the meeting on top of Sinai between God and Moses. She said the big event there was subject met subject. You didn't have subject meeting object or power meeting lesser. It was the two IMs because. So do you, you want to explain that a little bit? Because I don't think a lot of people are going to be able to catch what you just said. But he nodded. And if I, not, I, I get what you're saying. I'm okay. just saying that um, a lot of people okay, will not understand. Okay, that. Then I'll step out of the Old Testament for a moment so I don't have to explain Exodus. But there's this notion that um, like when you don't respond to the person's pain, you just try to fix it. That's subject meeting object. It's me as a self getting to, to dictate for you, which takes away your ability to be. Um, if you're both subject, then it's not me, the ultimate fixer, the ultimate knower, the, the end all be all. Um, getting to dictate to you who obviously didn't know, couldn't fix, couldn't do because you had to tell me a problem. It's it's two subjects getting to come together and naming who they are and what what life looks like in this moment. Hmm. Yeah. And then, then we're actually really talking about giving ourselves because then it's not just about giving your time, giving your presence. It's actually about giving up a part of your identity and taking on someone else's something foreign, something strange, something that is not you, allowing that to, well, actually giving it space and being, um, well, giving it shelter. As we come to a close, just because we got to talk about many things and we jumped around the board a little bit, we thought we'd want to wrap it up so we can have something to chew on through the week. So what changes when love is something we do or become instead of think or feel? We found that we got to actually have ourselves show up to the conversation and it gave us room to develop and grow because we're always becoming, never arriving. So you have permission to make mistakes along the way. Stepping into the self-reflective heart. Have we experienced our faith as more annoying than loving? And all of us got to say that when we were more annoying, when we were more loud, gong, crashing symbol than love, was when we let go of the people to hold on to just the ideas. Because we are not first and foremost someone who has a statement to sign. We are community learning more loving ways to become. And stepping to those practical steps at hands, what are some things that we can actively do to be reduced to love? And we talked about the idea of the self meeting the self that you get to bring your whole person, your whole story but you do this in a way that allows the other person to name their reality and to be present too. And it's in this mutuality, this coming together that myself gets to meet yours and our stories grow because of meeting that we truly get to step into this act of becoming the people of Christ. To conclude for today, um, one, we just want to thank you for, for taking the time to, to journey with us. Um, but we also want to invite you to continue to be part of the conversation. And so if you can go to www.fos.church, um, you can find different ways to connect with us, especially in this season of COVID-19, where we're not necessarily having physical gatherings. And so everything is online. There's plenty of ways for you to, join, uh, to journey with us. And we would love for you to continue the conversation with us.